This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com folks back here very excited to be joined by jason bockenstadt mayor berkowitz's chief of staff how you doing good thanks for having me today we we have had i just got to start here this, this has been a very bizarre beginning of the podcast so if it first starts out where i get here you guys are here carolyn hall's here as well hello carolyn i feel like i have a minder like a north korean style communications director for the mayor um the door is not opening the key's there we're i'm pulling the door i look like i'm trying to break in I'm running around trying to find a way to get in the building. It's Saturday. Then I get a call, and I didn't realize you, like, double as a locksmith or as, like, a way to person to get in the buildings. What would you do? Well, you know, you were you were being a little rough with the door, so I thought I'd be uh, – I'd go the opposite route. I was really and, and, jamming the door. And, uh, and try the soft approach. So I just pushed the door in a little bit and opened the door. But I, I will say that I think uh, I, have a, I have a lot more experience probably trying to figure out how to – prevent people getting in i have a three-year-old that uh, wants to get into everything uh, so i have uh, some experience in trying to uh, prevent people from entering so i know all the tricks i was just saying when i called jason sear to figure this out um i, re- I remembered when i did a podcast with mark spafford and mark corsentino so that's uh, a Wu and sws general managers right so city we same thing we got into the building but this door right here was locked they put a lock on the door we couldn't get in so us three had to basically jimmy the door open so there's something happening with the city employees and me in the podcast. Maybe it's I'm gonna have to. I'll I'll check in with them afterwards when we get done working for the city. Maybe we'll open up our own locksmithing company. Guess you maybe you know you got one year left, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so I want to talk a lot about um, recent week of, of public testimony. But first, I want to kind of go back um, and and before that, even you you actually do a lot of radio now with with KONR. We're at the studio here. I use the podcast studio, but you and the mayor are doing something uh, kind of the COVID. We do. So, uh, you know, right after kind of COVID started, we, we started with KONR and Steve Heimel uh, moderates it for us. But we have a, a weekly show every Thursday at four o'clock, Hunkertown, Anchortown, and basically gives us an opportunity to talk about the previous week's events and what's coming up. And uh, yeah, I think it's been pretty successful. A lot of folks have, have tuned in both uh, live and through our Facebook page. Yeah, I see it on the Facebook. It's on the radio, too. So it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, Steve's got a great radio voice. He has a great radio voice. We were joking before this that we've both been told we have a, a face for radio, right? I, I've been I'm going to take that as a compliment. I've been told that many times. I, I think it's meant to be an insult. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> um, so before we go into the kind of current homelessness uh, issue with the city, um, I actually knew you a little bit before. I was with a small IT company in 2015 that got bought by GCI, and you were at GCI for quite a long time, weren't you? Yeah, I was with GCI for about three years uh, when I when I moved to Alaska. Um, my wife was uh, born and raised here, so after we got married, um, she uh, she said she wanted to move back, and I said okay, and that was the job that I got when I uh, moved back here. Where were you when you before you moved here? So we both lived in Washington D.C., um, working in the United States Senate. Oh, I didn't know you. Who did yeah. you work for? 
So for uh, about almost 10 years, I worked for Senator Pryor. He was the senator from Arkansas mm-hmm. for a couple of terms. Um, so I uh, spent quite a bit of time working for him. And in between that, was able to sneak out for a couple of years and go to law school. But uh, didn't, came back and... Didn't uh, I did a podcast with Bill Falsey. I feel like there's a similar... Didn't he have a similar deal in D.C. and then he married... Yeah, so somebody moved up here. So I think he actually lived here. His his father, like uh, mine, was in the military. So um, I think he got stationed here when he was a little bit younger. So he went to high school. I think he graduated from Diamond High. Oh, okay, I didn't have uh, the um, <clears throat> pleasure of having my dad stationed here when when we were moving around, but. Uh, Bill and I actually, that's where we met, is in D.C. He was uh, chief of staff for, uh, I think, one of the uh, assistant secretaries in the Department of Interior. Mm -hmm. And through the uh, Alaska State Society and other events, uh, that's how we kind of connected and met. But, yeah, I think same thing. uh, He got married, and they both wanted to move back to Alaska and... Maybe I should go to D.C. Here. and then I'll get married and then I'll move back. <laughs> it's worked for both of us. So, so you you met your wife. She was also working in D.C.? She was. So she uh, she um, moved out there um, and worked for Senator Baggett for a number of years. And um, when I actually met her, she was working for uh, Senator Patty Murray from, from Washington. Um, Were you in the Hart Building? Uh, I was. That's where I spent uh, most of my years was in the Hart Building. Um, so I was there in January. I haven't spent much time in D.C., but... I know some folks with uh, Senator Sullivan's office and Senator Murkowski's office, and I got the tour kind of. And I yeah. was I happened to be there. It was um, just bizarre timing. I was there for something unrelated to that, but I went and saw people in the Senate and you know, Congressman Young. But it was during the impeachment when the impeachment started, and so I had Amanda Coyne. She had one of the like a golden ticket thing. Oh yeah, because it was all locked down. You know, oh, the yeah. little subway down there, and it's crazy for me because you see all these folks on TV and you're walking on the subway thing and you see Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer. And, and then they took me to the Senator's dining room. Larry Burton did uh, Sullivan's chief of staff. Yeah. And it's like, there's Diane Feinstein and there's Senator Gillibrand and there's white Senator Whitehouse. And then there's the Senator from, I forget Louisiana, but he's having dinner with, with lunch with Drew Brees, like 10 feet from me. Oh yeah. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I can't ask Drew Brees for a picture. <laughs> right. And they were like, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. They frown on that sometimes. If Cause you, it's like if a special start talking to others in the Senate senator's only dining room. Because I guess it's a senator or chief of staff. It is. So we went with Larry, and they had. Have you been? You've been there. I have. They, they had the, the soup. Uh, bean, Senate bean soup. Bean the soup. Famous bean soup. I had of the United United States Senate. And I had a crab or a lobster sandwich. Oh my god, it was good. Yeah, it was real it's, good. It's they 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 make up some good meals there. So you so where'd you grow up then? You didn't grow up in. No, I, I grew up everywhere. Uh, I was actually born in Virginia, um, right outside of Fort Lee. Um, that's where my dad was stationed when, when I was born. But uh, between the time I was born to when I graduated high school, I had lived in 13 different places. Um, oh, know, wow. Just in that kind of 18 years, went to three different high schools. So, so I, I, exper- I had the full experience of being the Army brat. So your dad was like a career? He was. He was a career about 30 years, retired as a colonel. And uh, is out in um, you know Northern Virginia still. That's where they live. My dad was twenty five years in the Navy, but he, they waited. They waited to have kids till they were older. So he, re- I was born. He retired. Oh yeah. So I didn't really travel, but we did go to the base and the commissary a lot growing up. Oh yeah, love that. The PX. Yeah, yeah the PX. Good everything. De- good yeah. deals. Yep. Anytime they come up and visit, they always they always take uh, me and my wife to the. So PX when I moved to Alaska, here. I was nineteen. And the way it works is if you're a dependent, you you know, you get you get the thing to your twenty three. Yep. 
So from 19 to 23, I'd always go on the base. I go shopping because <laughs> it was a good deal. Like you get yeah. the good stuff. Yeah. And then I turned 23 and I was like, shit, I can't go anymore. Man. I know I you, lose, you, lose, you lose that ID. I got to join the, I joined the army or something. Um, so you were moving back here with your wife and you, you were looking for jobs or. And... Yeah. So it was, it was actually funny. Um, we, we actually, um, uh, got married and, um, when we were up here, we, we got married up here and, uh, spent a couple of weeks kind of just, we went down to Homer and Seward and a couple of other places and They're kind and of the, we, the oblig- obligatory. Yeah. Stops. Yeah. And as we were kind of, you know, driving around, I think I mentioned that, I could live here, and uh, you know, if we wanted to start thinking about that, we should. And um, I think uh, she had her laptop with her in the car as we were driving around. So uh, as we were driving back from uh, either Seward or Homer, I think she finished updating her resume and had already uh, found a job uh, within like two weeks of saying that. So she actually moved back here sooner, and it took me a little bit longer to find a job. So I stayed in D.C., uh, for about another two or three months before I was able to find the job at GCI and then moved back uh, here. Now we've been here, been back. She's been back. Uh, I've been here now for almost eight years. Did you work with Tina Pigeon? I did. Yeah. worked with Tina Pigeon. She's and great. Becky Wimp Pearson and a whole bunch of those folks over at GCI. So there's been some kind of back and forth with GCI and the city because cause now Becky Wimp Pearson was with the city, but now she's at GCI. But she, you said she used to be at this, the city before uh, that? Uh, Becky was not with the city before she was municipal attorney. She was with GCI before we uh, oh, I see. we okay. stole her uh, over to be the municipal attorney for a couple of years. Sounds and like then, a little bit of competition here. Yeah, the and then GCI stole her back to be uh, the general counsel over there. So we'll have to see who else we can poach. So when you first started with the city, you were doing what? You weren't chief of staff, right? No, I wasn't. So when I actually first started, I was uh, I actually worked over at uh, public uh, or uh, PM&E. Um, as plan- project management and engineering okay. and doing uh, kind of their public outreach and um, uh, that sort of work. And then uh, was so there did, for about... S- did they come to you or did they ask, ask, were you looking for a gig or did they come to you? Or how did uh, they- I, I, you know, uh, the the previous uh, chief of staff, Suzanne Fleet Green, I was uh, good friends with. And, and I think uh, uh, it was not long after Ethan won and I said I was interested in maybe working for the city. And, nice. Um, you know, they said, here, maybe, maybe this, maybe this will work. So, um, and then not long after that, uh, Suzanne left and I know Ona, she took mm-hmm. over as chief of staff and needed yeah, somebody. So I, uh, I came over and was the deputy chief of staff for about two years. And then she left in, um, the end of last year. And, and I took over, uh, sometime in December, early December. So being chief of staff for the mayor, I mean, it's not like a lot of times in the legislature I've, Spent the last two years there, and people, I'm the chief of staff, and it's like there's like two staff or something or three staff, you know. So being chief of staff for the mayor, for the governor, for example, I mean, there's you must have daily just a ton of responsibilities that the mayor hands off to you, I assume, because everything can't get to the mayor. You have to sure. delegate that stuff out. Yeah, you know, we we uh, we don't have the the largest staff. I'd I'd love to be able to have a few more folks uh, working for. You're us. smiling at me. Is that <laughs> 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 uh, well, I think you're looking Carolyn's, for you're, you're looking Car- for another gig right now. <laughs> I, so, I am. Uh, Carolyn's like I, she has the mask, so I can't see her <laughs> face fully. But I, I imagine it's a cringe type. Yeah, yep. She's nodding. But but no, you know we're uh, we're uh, we're a small team, but but certainly there's there's a lot that goes on in, in all of the other departments, and um, you know between 
you know, Chris Schutte and Bill Falsey and, and some of the other uh-huh. uh, senior uh, executives in the city. I think we work really well together and are, are able to get a lot accomplished. So Yeah, we did, I did the podcast with Bill a while back now, but we talked about the earthquake yeah. and just kind of the, the exemplary way the city handled that deal. It yeah. was really – the best thing about the earthquake – was horrible, but that one pic we did the memes, you know, the article and the, the mayor with the big. <laughs> have you seen that one where he's yeah. smiling and young and and it's like the his like headshot deal and then somebody caught him on the one of the TVs with his, his beard and just like totally like looking like it's like me, you know, before the earthquake, me now. Yeah, it was like the uh, the earthquake happened. And it was like the last what two days of no shave November. Yes. So there were a whole bunch of uh, people that uh, kind of had uh, beards that. Uh, I think we're quickly shaved a yeah. uh, day or two after the earthquake. So real quick, so you were deputy chief of staff then, right? I was, yeah. So where were you? Were you in Anchorage when that happened? No. So I actually was um, uh, back in northern Virginia. It was obviously Thanksgiving. So oh, uh, right. I, I actually was not here to experience uh, the big one. We we got back a couple of days later. So we obviously, with everyone else, experienced uh, the many aftershocks, but you, I wasn't here for the, for the big one. I bet your phone started just going crazy after it, it did. I, I th- it was, it was weird. One of the, you know, I, I, since I was back over in, in DC and I think there was a little while where, you know, folks just couldn't get through on, on cell phones, mm-hmm. but mine was working. So uh, I, I was kind of the go-to person. You got that special DCI connection. Yeah. <laughs> the city, I mean, you got both, both sides of yeah. it. Yeah, so uh, well, I was able to do a little bit from there, but obviously the, the team here, I think, did a phenomenal job kind of handling that and getting yeah, us was, through that. I tell people, I've said this story many times, but I was just getting out of bed, and, and I, honestly, I thought my house was coming down. I was like, I was terrified. Yeah. It was yeah. just, it was... You were here, Carolyn? You're, you're, yeah, it was. Oh man, I was like, we're, we're going. We're, this is that we're going down. Yeah, yeah. We have we have you know kind of those uh, you know Amazon cameras in uh, in our house in a couple of different rooms. Like yeah. I said, I have I have two kids, so we have some of those to keep uh, keep an eye on them. And you know, as soon as the the earthquake happened, we went and started watching them, and we could just tell uh, almost well, immediately to- how big of an earthquake it was by by just watching those those cameras yeah we had some folks send us some of their camera um videos and we put them on the, the landmine on our article we were doing but some of them were i mean oh, yeah. this one it was in the house and there was like a kind of a middle cabinet in the kitchen and the living room and it was just going and probably oscillating by a foot each way yeah and it was just the bells were going off and everything was falling and my my um refrigerator and oven and stove and everything in the kitchen were actually pushed out into the middle of the kitchen. Oh my it God. Fully. I mean, I had pictures falling and I had my, like a really nice plate. I got in Russia many years ago, fell broke. Oh man. Yeah. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty bad, but yeah. luckily I wasn't one of, I had some friends who had their whole kitchen, like the, the cabinets opened up and the everything dishes, just, just everything through. was broken. And then the liquor stores. Yes. That made me sad. Yes. It's a big it's alcohol abuse right there. <laughs> Waste alcohol. So I want to talk about the last week and a half. The, there's been, Huge amount of public testimony. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the last time I remember something like that was probably AO 37, which was 20, I think 13. That was the labor ordinance that was introduced and huge kind of similar pushback, a lot of public testimony. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the plan um, using some of this COVID money to, to do some rehabilitation facilities, housing facilities, um, and then kind of, you know, why you think it has been received this way by the, by the public. So maybe start with describe the plan um, to use some of the COVID money to, to help the 
the homelessness is a problem here in Anchorage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think, you know, I'll take a step back a little bit. I, I think one of the things that somewhat gets lost in this story is the amount of work that has actually gone into um, developing a long-term plan um, to and, and trying to figure out what, what do we need to do to really make homelessness brief, one time, and rare. Huh. And, you know, we go back to, you know, you know, when the mayor first came in, there was a lot that, um, you know, the municipality, the city had never really done. You know, we didn't know kind of, we didn't have a by name list of the people that were homelessness so, or homeless. So we started there and we, we started building that and we've created kind of a by name list of everyone that is, that is homeless. And that really led us into what has developed into our long-term strategic plan, or I guess our every three year strategic plan, and that's anchored home. And, you know, that went through, you know, a a process where, you know, over 2,000 individuals, community partners, business organizations kind of commented on and said, yes, this is a, this is a good plan. And so every single year we kind of put out um, priorities for that year. And, you know, there are a number of them in there. And, and I think, as I said, Wednesday night um, after public testimony was closed, I think the problem that we've always faced is uh, to really make a, a real dent. We've just never had the underlying capital necessary to really make really strategic investments mm-hmm. and try to move the needle. We've obviously had support from um, you know our philanthropic partners and others that said, "Hey, we'll be there for you. We'll help with some of the operating dollars." But you know, even they can't kind of do the the large capital investments that's necessary to either build a new building or you know secure one that's already built and do some of the renovations. So. Um, you know, obviously when COVID hit, there was uh, a lot of concern with how um, we currently shelter, or, or at least then, sheltered individuals, which, you know, typically was either at Brother Francis and Beans. And obviously there are some smaller shelters around town that, you know, maybe shelter between 50 and 70 folks. But, you know, we had put, you know, 450 individuals typically down in Beans and Brother Francis, and they were much closer than what uh, they should be, especially in the time of COVID. So we were able to, uh, you know, successfully stand up the Sullivan and the Bokey and provide that necessary kind of six feet of, of physical distancing and kind of the medical monitoring of, of you know, everyone at, at those facilities. But at the same time, we knew that, you know, that facility in particular was never going to be a long-term solution. It's inefficient. You know, there's a lot of empty space there. It just doesn't work long-term as kind of a shelter. And and ultimately, because of all the work that we've done with Anchored Home and some of the other work, um, shelter isn't our long-term goal. We actually want to get these individuals hey, get into the, housing. Yeah. Um, so... <clears throat> you know, only having a shelter doesn't actually advance kind of all of the discussions and goals that we've set. Um, so, um, you know, obviously I know you've participated in a lot of the interviews and community briefings that the mayor's had over the last couple of months. And there's always been, at least early on, a lot of conversations about, well, what are you guys going to do after the Sullivan? So, you know, we've really went to work you know, with trying to figure out what does that look like. And, and obviously between when COVID happened and, and now, you know, the United States Congress and the president signed the 
largest kind of uh, uh, stimulus stimulus package, or at least non-wartime stimulus package uh, in our history, and that's the CARES Act. And one piece of that, one tiny piece of that $2 trillion um, stimulus package was about $150 billion that was going to be given to state and local governments. And as a piece of that, uh, Alaska received about $1.25 billion of that. And of that amount, Anchorage is going to re- or is in the process of receiving about $156 million of it. And this is the money um, that the governor kind of allocated because the legislature wasn't in session and there's been some controversy and back and forth with the legislature. There's been a lawsuit and then there's kind of um, some frustration by some local governments and then businesses. Um, so have we got the money? Because you have to sign an agreement, right? Each we do. City? Yeah. So each each local government has to sign an agreement. And essentially uh, the way the that it was set up is it comes in three different kind of uh, buckets. So uh, we have, Anchorage has signed the agreement. We have received kind of the, the first bucket, which is about $116 million. And for us to be eligible for uh, a, any subsequent bucket, we have to have spent 80% of the 116 before we can go back and get the next uh, amount of money. And the next two will come about in $20 million. Uh, so so the, the, the plan increments, the plan put forward to by the buildings, that was the mayor's, I, if I understand the mayor's idea, but then the assembly has to kind of introduce it or they, they, they're the first, there were the, the, um, Ordinance gets debated. Is that kind of how it works? So uh, obviously the the assembly has to um, uh, approve uh, the ordinance, but um, they, have we, the pur- we, they have the purse, right? Yeah, they they have the purse. They approve uh, the ordinances. So we put together um, the ordinance and submitted. And obviously, um, um, assembly members Zalatel, Constant, and Rivera have signed on as as co sponsors uh, of it. And we're in the process of, of going through that debate. And um, before the assembly members can actually get into the, uh, the debate and obviously potentially amending it or adding more um, language to it, uh, we have to go through kind of the, the public hearing process. Uh, and that is typical for every single ordinance, regardless of what it's about. There's always the opportunity to have the public hearing piece of it. I have to ask you, when Eddie Burke went up a couple of days ago, um, obviously, I, I haven't seen Eddie for a long time. I didn't even know he was still doing public stuff. But he uh, testified, very animated, of course. And at some point, he just started fixating on you. And he's like, what are you going to do, Bakkenstadt? What are you going to do, Bakkenstadt? And you were just, were you surprised? By, I mean, did you know he was going to do that? Or? No. I, it was so I, bizarre. I, I, and then he, he wouldn't stop testifying when his time was up. Yeah. And they had to call the security guard over. But he was just he honed in on you for some reason. Yeah, I think uh, I, I made, might have been uh, the the one person that was kind of sitting over on the administration side at the time. Because the mayor wasn't there because he was doing a thing with Channel 2. He was. So um, he, he did an interview, uh, you know, out at the Alaska Native Heritage Center um, uh, Wednesday night uh, with, with some others. So he was gone for a couple of hours. So I was the one that was kind of sitting there. He kind of... I, I guess saw me out of the corner of his eye and, <laughs> what are you gonna do, and, and wanted wanted to know what I was going to do and <laughs> and 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 I think the 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 question that I think he finally got out to to ask was do you want one of these types of facilities in your neighborhood yeah. or close to you and and you know I, I think one of the uh, 
you know, things that we've heard, uh, or at least one of the frustrations from some of the assembly members is that the public hearing process isn't necessarily the time for the assembly to really engage. Uh, it is kind of, I think, as assembly member Perez-Verdi and a few others have said, it's really their time to listen to uh, folks that want to come up. So uh, don't really have that opportunity to, en- to engage. But, you know, uh, after public hearing was closed and, and we were discussing, I, you know, I, I wanted to get out there uh, because, you know, this, in- this impacts everyone, right? This isn't, I'm not immune to the issues that we're talking about. So, you know, I got out there and I said, Yes, absolutely. I'd be okay with one of these facilities uh, being being close to to my house because they are. You know, I live close to downtown. Uh, I have some of these uh, long term bridge housing or permanent supportive housing, you know, uh, buildings less than two blocks away from where I live. And you know, in the seven years that I've lived in this house, I've never once had one issue uh-huh. with anything like that. So. Um, there are certainly things that we can do to kind of improve and make sure that that type of experience that I've had for the last seven years is the same type of experience that everyone will have uh, if the assembly ultimately approves uh, this ordinance and those folks that live around these facilities. So what I wanted to, to talk about is um, last summer I was part of a project in a film actually with Carolyn and her husband Scott before she was with the city, but we were going to do a short five-minute film because a friend of mine, had, it was during, uh, right after you're going to break up and, and there was a picture of a, of an area near a park and it was just, tra- I mean, as much trash as you could kind of imagine. And, and I said, man, wow, you know, so I posted it on our landmine Facebook and I mean, just a ton of engagement, ton of comments and shares. So we said, well, let's maybe, cause I had never seen that. I mean, I've seen like everybody else on the streets, you see yeah. people and you see that kind of very surface uh, side of it. So we started uh, looking into it a little more. And this five-minute film became a, a thirty-minute, you know, film. And we went to some of these camps in Campbell Creek and Chester Creek, East Chester, and we went downtown as well. But what, what I learned was, you know, there's definitely this is a big problem, and there's um, a mental health component for sure. There's a, a drug and alcohol addiction component for sure. There's a housing component, and then there's this other component. And I testified about this. Mm-hmm. There, there is a lot of stolen goods back there. We everybody knows it's like bikes and tools and. Um, and, and some of the folks, especially further, it's like the further away you get from downtown, the, the more um, coherent people are, the more kind of functioning people are. Mm-hmm. And many of them just very clearly told us they kind of like being out there. It's yeah. summertime, it's by the Rick Creek, it's warm, you know, it's... So, so I agree that we need increased access to mental health care and rehabilitation and housing. But, you know, assuming all those things happen, what happens with the, you know folks who remain that just don't want to kind of be part of the system. They want to live outside of you know, society. That's the kind of thing I, I wonder about. Yeah, I think that's that's obviously going to be something that is going to take a lot of uh, attention and, and focus as, as we move forward. But I think, I think one of the issues that we experience is – uh, when you go out and you you talk to these individuals and you ask them, you know, why are you out here? I think you're absolutely right. People are like, well, I just I like it more out here. But one of the there's never kind of maybe you did, but uh, I've never really heard that follow up and go, well, what if there is something better? But you know, up until now, we haven't been able to offer mm-hmm. that something better. It's been there's Brother Francis. 
And that's what they know. And they're like, absolutely not. So they don't know what that something better is. And, you know, I think one of the concerns that we've always heard from from these people is, you know, they don't feel safe uh, in a in a shelter that is overcrowded and packed. And, you know, you have people that, you know, like you said, there's folks that have mental health issues. There's folks that have addiction issues. And, you know, being able to uh, get a good night's sleep in a shelter that's overcrowded with with folks that have those types of issues, um, and maybe you don't, uh, can be disconcerting, right? So you're like, well, I'd rather just go out and, and camp in the woods. No. But if we can provide a, a more safe, a more secure place for that individual, we need to have that conversation, but we haven't been able to kind of offer I, that. I think some of those people, maybe maybe the majority, I mean, we did ask if that was available or what do you, and some folks did say, I don't want to go to that shelter. I'm not going, because we were down there as well for that video. And that yeah. was, you know, I've been living here 16 years. I've driven by there a thousand, you know, a million times, but I've never actually gone over there and walked around and we did that. And that was like fucking horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, I would not want to be anywhere near there. Yeah. You know, there was, there was, it was, it was like almost the closer you get to the downtown, it seems like the more um, affected people are, or the more, you know, maybe, maybe mentally ill or, mm-hmm. um, less functioning people are. And it was, it was actually pretty scary being there. And yeah, the folks in the, you know, Campbell Creek or Eastchester, I think you're totally right. They don't want to go there, but some of them did tell us, well, we don't know where to go. I mean, there's nowhere to really, who do you call? Where do you go? Um, I think you're right. I think that would deal with probably a, a pretty decent sized portion of the problem, but that still leaves kind of the, the, problem of, of the, you know, the trash. And I think when Bill Evans tested, I don't know, did you see Bill Evans? Testify? I did. He yeah. made that good point that I think um, resonated with a lot of people. It's not just a few thousand people that are affected by this. It's, it's 300,000 people who live here plus people who visit. Um, and that's a, the, the question is how do we holistically solve the problem for, for everybody? And it's tough. I mean, that's why it's, it's like these problems don't get solved because they're, they're tough problems. Yeah. They're, they're certainly tough. And, and, um, you know, a lot of them are heartbreaking. And, and I, you know, there's, I, I don't want to lose sight of the fact, too, that, um, I, you know, I think part of your testimony was, was very well received. I think that there is uh, an element of, of criminality that pe- people are, are, are out there. And, and I think we've, we've tried very hard to, um, you know, switch how are we going into these areas. I think for, for a long time we'd, We'd go into a very tiny area and clean it up and abate it, and um, not long after, people would be back. But uh-huh. we've, we've kind of switched to a, a more zone-based abatement that allows us to do a bigger area all at one time and hopefully uh, move a lot of, a lot of this out um, uh, quicker. But uh, as I said, I don't want to lose sight of the fact, too, that you know, while there is a criminal element um, uh, to it, a lot of individuals that are experiencing homelessness, the reason that they're experiencing homelessness is because they are victims of crime, either domestic violence or some type yeah. of assault. And even some of the ones... They, that we, they don't have a place to go anymore. And even some of the ones that we, we saw out there um, are victims of, of ongoing crime. You know, ongoing, some of the, absolutely. So, some of the folks who are... There's some bad people in those places that victimize and take advantage of, of, of other people in, their, in the camps or in, yeah. in that in that world. So uh, we definitely, I mean, one guy had a machete yeah. and he showed it to us and we said, wow, what's that? He's like, well, you know, I don't want to get fucked with. Yeah. And I said, what does that mean? And he was telling us some of the people, you know, back here, you, you can, can't trust them. Other, others are great, you know, but some people you don't know. It's a very scary um, situation back there. 
Yeah. Especially for, I think women probably have it, you know. Absolutely. That's, they're really, um, and that's and that's why we're, we're why we're why we've kind of put out our anchored home plan and talked about, you know, our only solution isn't shelter. We, we want our solution to be, hey, we know, um, you know, some of these individuals are experiencing mental health or addiction issues. We need, I think, it's been documented by the state, by the city, by uh, providers that we need additional uh, treatment capacity uh, within this city. I mean, ten years ago we had. Uh, I think of almost 210 residential treatment beds. That was 10 years ago. Now we have only about 175. And and it's not like the problem's gotten better mm-hmm. uh, or there's been less mental health or addiction issues over the last 10 years. It's, it's gotten worse. So, um, But we're, we're doing uh, what uh, we did 10 years ago with fewer beds, which has created kind of this problem. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, that's obviously not the only solution either. We want to move, I think, as a lot of folks uh, testified and we've talked about quite a bit, we want to move to a housing first model. We want to make sure that people have a place to go that isn't a shelter. Uh, that's what in our film, that's what uh, Christopher Constance said. He said yeah. Eastchester has become API's waiting room. It is. And, um, and we, you know, there's a ton of evidence from cities all across the country about how a housing first model is cheaper than all of these other things that we're yeah. talking about. You know, you're, you know, average, I, I think it's about 40 to $45 a day to house somebody, but it's $150 to put them in jail. And it's a couple thousand dollars uh, or a thousand dollars a day to put them in API. So, you know, what are we trying to do? Like we can do all of those things, um, but who's going to pay for it? Well, and I, let's let's figure out a better way, a more humane way, to actually get the people the help that they need and into an actual stable living environment. I did a podcast last year with a woman, um, psychiatric nurse from um, API Wellpath. She came up here and we talked. Her whole history has been psychiatric nursing, and we talked about um, how a model that, that's worked well in other countries and in some cities is, you know, when you arrest somebody who's mentally, we don't we don't train people generally. I mean, I, I have CPR training. Somebody's down, I can probably use my CPR in first aid to try to do something. We don't train people mostly how to handle folks that are mentally ill. We've all seen that before, the person mm-hmm. screaming and, you know, we don't know what to do with that. And a model is having a facility or almost like a triage center where you take somebody. And and, and I did a podcast recently with Jeremy Conkling, the yeah. head of the APD, the police union. Mm-hmm. And we just don't have a place to take people that are mentally ill. I, I was driving a cab. I've told this story so 10 years ago when I was in college, and I got a call to the, to the hotel Marriott and I couldn't find the person. And then I was like leaving and then they said, Oh, here he is. And they just, they like put some guy in my car and just, just totally just out, out there mm-hmm. just saying the most crazy shit you can imagine. And, you know, hanging out with them. They didn't know what to do. So they yeah. called the cab. So I, I don't know what to do. So I took them to API, but, but kind of during the course of the, it was like very um, crazy stuff. And then once in a while, a coherent thought. Yeah. And then eventually I got a phone number called the number, it was somebody in Seattle, it was a sister, explained the history of problems with this guy. But we don't have a place, and the cops tell me the same thing, we don't have a place, if somebody's suffering from a mental health illness, they go to the jail. Yeah. Oftentimes. Which is probably the worst place to send somebody. If the jail has room. Probably the worst place to send somebody who's mentally ill. Yeah. And, and, you know, I I think this has been a conversation that, that has kind of, jump-started across the country as a result of some of the protests that um, have, have happened across the country, and even here, is that um, 
you know, uh, the police aren't necessarily the best um, uh, individuals to respond to some of these calls. And, and we don't have uh, the, the mental health professionals. I think what you're talking about is kind of a crisis now or, or a crisis stabilization center that we need. Figure that, out, do they need, do, do they actually need real help? Do they, yeah. do they need to talk to somebody? Do they need, are they... Is it a criminal thing? Is it a, what is it? Let's figure out. What but let's have, but let's have the people that are trained mm-hmm. to actually deal with those situations, be the ones that are responding first, instead of somebody um, from the fire department or the police department that while yes, they do get some training in this aren't kind of uh, their, their education background, their, their, all of their skills that they have learned through all of the education and training that they go through. Um, you know, aren't completely dedicated to that. So we do need to kind of flip this model on its head a little bit and say there is a better way. There are cities that have done it in a better way, and let's let's take the best from from those places and and work together and move move towards that type of model. And I think you could you could discuss a lot of reasons why homelessness in this country has gotten gotten worse over the years. But I think one of the main reasons, and nobody wants to say this, but I mean, we used to just institutionalize people. We don't do that anymore. I mean. You were something's wrong with you. We would just fifty years ago or sixty years ago, you know, you would just go to the loony bin. They called it, or the, um, you know, the hospital, and it was it was by force. And that's you know we don't do that anymore. So rightfully is, so, I would yeah, yeah I would it, add. that's good. I mean that's good. <laughs> yeah. But but when you stop doing that, um, and then there's no other way to handle that, then you have what we have now. You have people that are very, oftentimes mentally ill who can't get help, don't know where to go, and they're on the street. And you know I think as a I've always said as the, as, the, as, the, as the wealthiest country in the history of the world, society, you know, we have a, a duty to take care of people. We shouldn't have – what we see here every day, we shouldn't have that. Yeah. It's just there's no excuse for not being able to, to deal with that. So it's – I mean, I, I commend you guys for trying to solve it. I think, um, you know, the public – and it's a frustration I've had. I was on the community council for a long time. I was president, and I've been involved in this stuff. And oftentimes an issue comes up, and people show up. And in their mind, it's the first time it's come up. So they think – well, you know what? This is bullshit. This is like the first time. Yeah. But the reality is if you're around and involved, you know this stuff's been talked about for years. Yeah. But people get upset and you know most folks you can't blame. They they have a family to raise, they have a job, they don't pay attention to the every municipal assembly meeting or the agenda. But I mean there has been I'd say a, clearly a pretty big response to this and yeah, absolutely. And and I hope that uh, you know as we we move through this and and um uh, re- regardless of if the the ordinance is approved or not, I hope these people stay engaged. I, I it will make a better public process mm-hmm. if if uh, the number of people that are talking about this now stay engaged. That is ultimately what you want. But I I, I completely agree with you. I think one of the frustrations that um, a lot of folks have is that this isn't the first time that we're talking about this. This may be the first time that we're talking about these specific locations, but the concept, the, the, what we want to do with um, homelessness has not. We've been talking about it for a long time, and, and I will say that there have been a number of people on the assembly, I mean, led by uh, Chris Constant and Meg Zalatel, they've been talking about these issues for years um, and and talking about, hey, there's a need, you know, let's not just do something in downtown. Let's do something in midtown because 
that's where people are. And, and part of the things that we've already kind of talked about is it's very difficult to get people to go from where they're comfortable to somewhere that, that they're not. So if, if they're already there, let's bring the services actually to where they are. And that's something that we have learned kind of over the last couple of months at the Sullivan Arena with setting up our community resource hub and, 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 and all of that, that we're much more successful when we bring all of the resources to the individuals. And that can be as much as, you know, getting the paperwork and, and the services necessary to try to find housing or bringing folks in that can help an individual try to find a job or, you know, something as easy that you and I can do, uh, go right down the street and get our new ID. You know, sometimes how do they don't know how to do that. So, um, but we've, well, we've been very successful in uh, bringing those individuals and, and those service providers to the people at the Sullivan. And, you know, over the last couple of months, we've been able to house almost 200 individuals, which so was, when was, we're looking is, is significantly more than what we typically do over a month-to-month basis. So I was going to ask, how's that going? Because I've seen some articles, and I haven't been inside there. I mean, is it are people showing up? Is it is it... Is it going pretty well? I mean, how's, how's it been going overall? I, I think it's been been going great. I, obviously, you know, when we first uh, kind of kicked off, there were, um, you know, kind of the same kind of concerns from uh, individuals that uh, live in that area that all of a sudden there were a lot more people around. And we tried very hard to address those. So we, we added some additional uh, security and, and we've worked with the Anchorage Downtown Partnership to kind of have their uh, navigators, um, you know, kind of be there and around walking around picking up trash and and kind of just being a presence in the neighborhood and i think we've we've had a lot of success and the fact that i'm asking you about it not really knowing kind of tells me that's not big of a problem yeah (laughs) because normally i do the landmine thing so if something's going on i get people email me yeah i mean certainly certainly there's there there are always going to be issues and we're going to have to do a better job of addressing those as they come up but i think on the whole we've done a relatively good job of of providing the service and, um, you know, making sure that the providers are there and that, that folks are safe. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that we're, we're seeing is, um, you know, over the last couple of days because of the weather, because of the rain, um, you know, the, the, the Sullivan is filling up. But, you know, it's, it's historically always been uh, there are fewer people that stay in the shelters in the, in the summertime. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so I mean, that's one of the beautiful weather in Anchorage. So, uh, but that's but that goes back to there isn't necessarily a better place. You know, if if the only two options are a shelter or staying outside, um, you know, in the the summertime in Anchorage, yeah, I think some people yeah. are going to choose. I'd rather be outside. outside but if we bad. but if we give them a, an option of shelter outside or your own house, your own roof that is yours. I'd rather I'd rather go that route, and I think we'll be very successful in doing that. I think one thing that has to be, like you said earlier, forty five dollars to house somebody. You know, um, what was it? The second option about one hundred and fifty dollars a night to jail for, somebody for jail, and then the, obviously the mental health care is much more expensive. Yeah. I think it's explaining that because um, I think a lot of folks have, you know, especially maybe the kind of hard, you know, hardcore conservatives. They don't want to use public money to help somebody they view as a nuisance, but I mean, really, that's actually the conservative. Uh, position is let, let, let's spend less money and actually help people because either way we're going to spend the money. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, a way to you know explain that to, to folks and say, look, you know, we can spend this much and it's going to have this result or we can spend this much and we're going to have probably a, a worse result. Yeah. You mentioned the, the weather. So that's another concern that's been brought up is, you know, we'll be in 
fall in a few months and then mm-hmm. winter. And then that's when it gets real dangerous. You know, people are outside if it's below zero, if it's real cold. I know they have different, you know, protocols of depending on the temperature, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's certainly, um, you know, the concern that we have is that, you know, it's, we're past solstice. So, uh, it's, it's dark now at midnight oh. <laughs> as you're, you're that. out about. And yeah, I hate that too. But, uh, you know, I think that's a clear sign that, um, you know, summer is going to be coming to an end and it's going to start getting cold. Don't even say just don't. <laughs> Can you, I'm going to like edit that. I won't even, I won't even edit that the, part yeah, out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I think at a certain point, yeah, I mean, more and more folks say uh, because of the weather, I'm going to find um, uh, different options. I'm not going to stay outside. It's it's too cold. Um, and, you know, hopefully, um, you know, we will have additional options to provide um, folks um, in addition to um, the, the shelter capacity that we have. The hope is, is that we will have additional um, transitional and bridge housing and, and additional uh, permanent supportive housing. But, you know, part well, of that I, is it takes an investment um, to, to make that change, and that's what we're trying to do. Well, I really hope we can get to the point where, I mean, I'll tell you one more story. This is probably going back six or seven years. I was driving. It was nighttime. It was winter. It was very cold. I saw a man on the side of the street with a, a sign. It was, it was cold. It was like zero. And I just felt so bad. It was so cold, and he didn't really have a warm jacket. So I parked. I went over. To him, it was over on Northern Lights and um, Arctic. And I said, hey, can, you know, can I take you to, can I buy you some food? Yeah. Get warm. Took him to Subway, you know, bought him a sandwich and was talking to him. Nice, nice guy, older guy. He was definitely mentally ill, but he was there enough. And uh, he eventually gave me his phone number. I said, do you have anybody I can call? You know, I, I don't know what to do. Like, that's the problem. I don't know what to do. Yeah. What do I do with that guy? I don't know. No one knows. So I call his kid who lived in the valley and basically explained to me that it's his, it's his dad, and, and for many years he's been like this, and we try to help him. We, we take him in the house. He, he's, he causes problems. He leaves. And it's like, you know, I was just like, for a long time after that, I felt so bad about it. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. But I wanted to do something, you know? And yeah, and I and think that's, I mean, that, I think that is a consistent thread that we've heard, and that is something that I'm, uh, I'm very glad to be hearing um, from uh, members of, of the community, and I think everyone said that throughout the, the many days of testimony that we heard, is they want to do something. And what is that? We might have different views on how we get there, but um, they all want to do something. So that is something that uh, we're going to continue to to work towards, and, and I hope that um, all of us can do a better job of uh, kind of explaining, you know, like, like, like you said, we need to do a better job of explaining when you encounter somebody like that, that you're, you're talking to, who do you call? Mm-hmm. Who do you get in touch with to actually try to provide um, some additional help? Um, so we need to do a better job of that. The community needs to do a better job of that. And I hope that this conversation has really kind of uh, kick-started that, and we can continue that. Well, that's, that's definitely, in my mind, the disconnect is when somebody does want help, if, if they're, if, whether it's them trying to contact somebody or go somewhere or someone trying to help them, you know, where do you go? And I think oftentimes it's the, it's the police, which we've mm-hmm. discussed, is probably not the best course of action in most cases. So, well, I appreciate you doing the podcast. It's Absolutely. How did I do, Carol? We do we have the Carolyn I didn't stamp get of kicked approval? At, I didn't get kicked at all. So it's hard to see with the mask. I, I can't I really anything wrong. I can't really see her facial expressions. Normally, they're pretty clear, so <laughs> easy to figure it out. Well, if um, whenever you're done being chief of staff, I think you might have a career in kind of locksmithing or 
you know, breaking and enter. I don't know. You know, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I'll I'll get in touch with the uh, the two marks, uh, the two general managers at uh, our, our utilities, and see if they maybe want to open up a business. But yeah, like, but as you said at the beginning, maybe I have a face for radio, so maybe I'll I'll get into that. Well, you know, the mayor was on radio, and look where that led him. Yeah, so. yeah, not, not too bad. Where where you're trying to get there too? <laughs> maybe I'm. So. I mean, let's let's not let's not put limits on it. <laughs> Juno. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Jason, I appreciate you coming in, Carolyn. Absolutely. Thanks for Thanks, being here, Jeff. Setting it up, and uh, next time we'll get Carolyn maybe on the other mic. Absolutely. She's, she's nodding no, but she's smiling, I think. Yes. So. All right, well, appreciate you coming in, and um, we'll be looking for it. Monday is going to be today's – I'll get this up tomorrow, hopefully. So Monday's coming up is the debate, right? Monday will be the debate. I believe it starts at 6 o'clock, and um, I think that there will be an opportunity for assembly members to ask a lot of questions and, and probably amend the ordinance a little bit. But ultimately uh, – you know, we'll see where it goes on, on Monday night. Maybe one of them will go full Eddie Burke and say, what about you, Bachenstein? <laughs> what are you going to do, Bachenstein? I wouldn't put it past him, but hopefully hopefully they'll give me an I opportunity just, to respond if they do. I assume he just didn't know your first name. He saw your, your sign yeah. with your name, so he just used that. Yeah. All right, well, um, thanks for coming in on a Saturday. Absolutely, I appreciate thank you. It. And um, a great, great conversation. We'll do another one of these. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline, ring.